The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. Our program is designed to offer solutions to those individuals with exceptional needs, plus families, professionals, and educators. Dr. Sean and his guests will share ideas that you can begin using immediately in order to promote a harmonious relationship and move forward. Now, here is your host, Dr. Sean Surface. Well, good morning, my Voice America listeners. So happy to have you with us today. I hope that you've had a chance to remember and praise yourself on some of your past successes that you've been dealing with over the last week. Well, a challenge around here over the last week is my daughter has been terribly sick and woke up this morning even feeling worse. So prayers out there for my little daughter, Millie. She just turned 10, and for her 10th birthday, she got lousily sick. So... The goal has been on this show to bring you a better understanding of individuals with disabilities or to give resources to people or families living with disabilities. Today I'm really excited. We're going to continue our discussion about community integration. We'll be talking with Amanda Alvarez, a longtime colleague, an employee and friend. Amanda's been an expert in community integration and has worked for Total Programs as the Community uh, Integration Services Director for quite a number of years. We've spoken about many laws and that have led up to today's system of education and support. And I, I look forward to sharing Amanda's experiences with us and her ideas in the second part of the show. You know, the biggest part of all of what we do is integration and specifically community integration. Community integration is where it all happens. It's where we can practice social skills and daily life adaptive skills. It's where we can really get into generalizing all the skills we are taught and place and a place to productively utilize them. Specifically, it's a place to be part of humankind, to socialize in a very challenging world, a place where a family could be a family. A person can feel good about themselves and not isolated. We've had many clients that have benefited from our community integration program. First, we're often preparing the person for the big outside world, giving them some skills to socialize, use money, ride buses, ride in cars, go to movies and deal with disappointment as well as enjoying themselves. Community integration has its very own history and a reason for development. Community integration, while diversely defined, is a term encompassing the full participation of all people in community life. It is specifically referred to the integration of people with disabilities into U.S. society, from the local to the national level, and for decades was the defining agenda for such countries as the United States and Great Britain. In the U.S., the Consortium of Citizens for Disabilities advocates for national public policy, which ensures the self-determination, independence, empowerment, integration, and inclusion of children and adults with disabilities in all parts of society, 
other countries, such as Canada, Great Britain, Spain, uh, with different roots, often spoke of inclusion, the unifying global agenda in the disability and community life. So community integration is something that has been worked on since the probably the mid-60s, early 70s, throughout the world, starting mostly in the United States and in Great Britain. You know, theorists have differentiated different types and levels of integration in special education, as well as physical, functional, social, community, organizational. In disability circles, community integration meant opportunities for participation in school, careers, homes, relationships, leisure activity, and a variety of interests and lifestyles. Um, Nurjay and Wolfsbanger of the U.S. are internationally known for their concepts of normalization and social role valorization, with a particular emphasis on physical and social integration. Gustafsson, in 1990, of Sweden, has indicated that physical integration best describes the common use of the term integration, with social integration the struggle for equality and quality in life. The intent of community integration was the participation of people with disabilities in regular environments, the antithesis of the exclusionary practices that have been were done in the past. In the past, as I said in the beginning shows, people's only options were institutionalization. And there were public and private institutions, and the private institutions didn't run actually any better than the public institutions. They just actually hid and marginalized individuals a little bit better. So the goal has been since the Kennedy era to integrate and to have people in, uh, in, in within our community. Uh, Racino describes these theories as ecological theories, community support theories, systems theories. There's family theories, social cultural theories, generic human concept theory, and universal theories. These ideas all relate around the idea of how do we get individuals with disabilities integrated into our community. Taylor, in his analysis of community systems in the United States, proposed the principle of non-restrictive environment as a counterpoint to the federal government's least restrictive environment principle. In 2014, the governing principle in the U.S. is that the most integrated setting based on the the Supreme Court's Olmstead decision. So now the Olmstead decision came down in June of 1999, and the United States Supreme Court held in Olmstead versus LC that unjustified segregation of persons with disabilities constitutes discrimination in violation of Title II of the Americans with Disabilities Act. So it took till 1999 for us to have a realization, it's almost 20 years ago, that we were segregating individuals with disabilities, even though we th- believed that we were creating programs for them, we were creating programs that didn't didn't necessarily include them in the environment, in the community environment. Prior to the Olmstead decision, the Supreme Court addressed the community integration issues with multiple times in cases of Haldeman versus Penhurst State School and Hospital, a class action filed in Pennsylvania by attorney David Fer- Ferlegger Although the Olmstead decision explicitly did not reach the constitutional issues decided in the Penhurst and other cases, limitations in Olmstead have been critiqued, and it has been argued that there is a constitutional right to community services. The analysis of large-scale systems change in community integration has involved challenges by local public agencies, 
Key elements of these strategies include enabling leadership, putting people first, values and visions, learning for quality, and its implications for national policy. Remember, in the Wyatt-Stickney Act, we, we, which we've talked about several times on the show, that was the first time that it was stated by the government that no longer was it okay to just do custodial peanut feeding, dressing kind of work with individuals with disabilities, but they needed purposeful, productive lives. So we see that in our community integration programs. Community integration also has a strong community roots, which places it in community practices fields for community psychology, to sociologists studying community, to inclusive educations in local school systems, competitive businesses that have people with individuals with disabilities working for them, rural independent living, where systems are set up to help rural individ- people living in rural in- environments, urban sociology, local parks and recreation programs, community development and housing, neighborhoods and communities, among, among others. So recreation. Recreation is like the most difficult thing, again, for individuals with disabilities to either access or to be interested in. And it's a big part of our goal to try and get the interest out there after we make sure the access is there. So under recreation, being in the community has meant being part of activities and events on the local level in towns and cities and suburbs. Recreational integration is a facet of inclusion and community access. School and recreation integration has prom- was promoted in the U.S. and in other countries. On local levels, the concerns have generally con- been acceptance and friendships, support services, site accessibility, group size, and truly integrated in the contra- in contrast to side-by-side activities. You know, truly integrated means everybody with individuals with disabilities and without are in the same recreational activity versus having two different games going or two different uh, activities going side by side, one for the disabled and one for the non-disabled. Recreational funding has often been tied to to facilities. Community integration involves changes in staffing of regular community environments, such as the YMCA or the YWCA. We often have a, a client that wants to access a gym, wants to access a YMCA in their programs, may have some challenges with language, may have some challenges with behavior, therefore they are not getting the access that they need or, or desire, so we go in and we work with them in the actual integrated environment so that they can access and be part of that activity. Recreational inclusion may entail a camp, a neighborhood center, girls' softball leagues, boys' baseball leagues. Remember the Challenger baseball leagues and the Challenger soccer teams and the Challenger basketball teams. Um, Participation in the social world and integration is so important. Car-related examples include going to amusement parks, going to... uh, you know, maybe a model car show at night, something that interests the individual. The idea is to bring out and bring in ideas and activities that the person is interested in and can access within that community setting. For those with severe disabilities, employment integration initiatives are often framed as supported employment, 
which allows certain jobs at regular businesses and employment sites to be done under coaches. Similar initiatives in mental health field have often called for transitional employment. Other forms of integration include competitive placements in businesses and industry. It's really a big goal of ours with our teenagers and our young adults to try and get them into the workplace so that they have productive lives and they have a success. A major success was the passage of the Americans with Disabilities Act in 1990, which was amended in 2008. It was part of the Rehabilitation Act of 1990, excuse me, of 1973, which provided protection for men and women with disabilities in obtaining jobs, careers, and positions with necessary workplace accommodations. A key service for employment integration is often considered to be personal assistance services or in other fields. Of course. So we have... Last week we talked about this. We have our respite program where we come in and we assist in a behavioral type of babysitting, behavioral type of care provision. And during those times, we're trying to teach skills, trying to make sure that the person has whatever they need in order to uh, uh, get by on that day. Now, some people just need help getting dressed or getting maybe a meal together, and then they're they're good to go. They're good to go on their own, maybe with a uh, 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 to an employment situation where they do have some supervision, but they can do the majority on their own if they just have that personal assistance time. Unfortunately, with budgets, we we're always concerned that that's the first to go. And unfortunately, what that does is it usually pretty much nixes any type of, of work or, or independent activity that that person can do uh, because they don't have the person there to help them get ready. In the context of employment integration, it has been conceptualized as including social aspects of promotion, discriminatory hiring, and termination practices performance standards, job sharing. Actually, one of the biggest things to come into employment to for disability sake is workman's compensation. So if somebody is hurt on the job, they are uh, compensated for and they can you know, still get back to the job at some point once their injury has subsided. Well, with individuals with disabilities, it may be a longer uh, period of time that they need support and there are policies that have been put into place to make sure that developmentally disabled individuals also have the opportunity to return to work when things get challenging. Community integration has most been criticized by gender and ethnic and cultural and race and class issues. So yeah, in certain classes and ethnic uh, uh, communities, we do see uh, community integration occurring in, in certain places we don't and and one of our issues is that in areas where the person lives and if they if there's violence in the area we want them to be able to integrate but at the same time we want them to be safe it's really important for us to remember what the Bill of Rights is for developmentally disabled people all people with disabilities will be able to live successfully in or as part of a natural community that provides them with the supports they need all people with disabilities will be recognized for the positive contributions they make to their families and communities. I'm just working with a little boy right now who, yeah, he has his behavioral challenges, but he's a wonderful artist. He's an unbelievable artist, and that's going to be his vocation. 
and he's nine now, soon to be actually, and soon to be ten, and he, he he's an amazing part of the community if we look at that positive benefit of his. All people with disabilities will benefit from enduring relationships with other people. All people with disabilities will be entitled to participate in decisions affecting the nature and the quality of the services that they receive. We try and make our clients part of their decision making so that for one, they're more motivated to do it, but secondly, that they are tied into a, an interest or take ownership of their own program. All people with disabilities will have access to services and supports that provide choice and support full citizenship. Choice. We don't want to take away choice from the individual because the choice making is what is so motivating for to drive life. When we're making our own choices, we're able to see the 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 purpose behind what why what we're doing. Services and supports for people with disabilities will be individualized and responsive to cultural and ethnic differences, economic resources, and life circumstances. So. Just because we have a client maybe that is in an area that we can't do a lot of walking in the community or we can't access that much of the direct community, we do make sure that that person also has access to stores and shopping and friendships and parks and things that they may not be able to access directly in their own community because of safety reasons, but could have taken to another community. Um, public policy will provide the opportunity to enjoy productive, integrated lives. You know, the idea is that we do all these different things. We have special education programs from early on. We have community integration programs for our young or our growing up kids. We have more community programs for our adolescents. We have pre-vocational programs. We have programs that are in community colleges. We have programs that assist individuals with disabilities in various government agencies. The goal of all of this is to make sure that they enjoy a productive life and that there is integration of their life into the typical world. Not that they are given something to do and marginalized away. They are given the same opportunities and access as any other individual. Believe it or not, it's time for our first break. And so we will be back in a couple of minutes and we'll be talking with Amanda Alvarez of Total Programs. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Step by step, you made it through the journey of pregnancy. Now your baby is in your arms and you're on the cusp of a new journey, breastfeeding. As a new parent, you receive a lot of advice, much of it conflicting, some of it outdated. Tune into Born to be Breastfed with host Marie Biancuzo to bust through the myths about feeding your baby. Marie and her guests will help you figure out what you can expect and put you on the best and surest path on your breastfeeding journey. Listen every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Life has its joys and challenges. 
At Total Programs, we can assist you with the challenges and show you that solutions are possible when good strategies are put into place. At Total Programs, we understand how difficult your day can be, and our goal is to assist your family in having a supportive, safe, and successful environment where love and joy can reign. We can design programs and strategies to bring you the success, safety, and support that you desire for your home, school, and community. Call 1-866-54-TUTOR or visit TotalPrograms.org. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. We'd love to encourage your participation in the program. Call into 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to seansurface at totalprograms.org. Now, back to this week's show. Well, we really... Uh... Amanda and I have been having a little conversation during the break. You know, there's a lot of information that I just laid out. And the thing about the Olmstead Act is that the Olmstead Act was the first time the Supreme Court had made a decision that they, that people with disabilities actually were being discriminated against. I'm sorry, I'm having a little technical difficulty this morning with my, my mic. I hope that you're, you're being heard. So, um, what was I saying? The Olmstead Act. So, it's kind of, we were joking that, oh, I gave out all this information. But the Olmstead Act is important because it's the first time the Supreme Court said, hey, look, you're segregating people. You're giving, you're, you're, you're giving this certain community access to things, but you're not giving everybody access. And then in the 2008 period... We had such financial problems that local uh, de- Department of Developmental Services agencies stopped social rec programs. And that stopping of social rec programs, you know, it was against the Olmstead Act. And there just wasn't money around to do it. And But we figured out ways. We constantly figured out ways that we could get our kids out into the community. I'm really happy to have with us Amanda Alvarez this morning. Good morning, Amanda. Good morning. Let me just say a little bit about you. Amanda's worked with children with special needs and families for 26 years. She's worked as the director of a children's group home for the first 17 years of her adult life. And she currently works as the director of community integration services at Sarah Madre Learning Center Total Programs and has been with me for like 12 years. This experience has taught her to be patient and understand understanding with children in general. It then became her calling to explore how to better serve children with special needs. She attended Mount Sac College and completed her studies in early education, early childhood education. She then transferred to Azusa Pacific University where she received her bachelor's degree in teaching and then transferred to National University where she has received her master's in education with a specialization in applied behavior analysis. 
It's our hope to be a board-certified behavior analyst by the end of the year. In her personal path, she's been a single mom figuring out how to raise three nieces and one nephew. And as an, she inherited her brother's children, who is deceased, and their mother, who is recovering from drug addictions. Fast forwarding to 15 years, now all four of those kids are successful young adults making their own career, and hopefully will make her a grandmother one day. But let's wait. <laughs> let's right. wait a little time. We can wait a little time on that. So, I really, you know, I've been, I've been working with Amanda off and on for like 20 years, and I really have always been very, very impressed by your dedication and your strength to continue and your perseverance in what we're trying to do. So, Amanda, tell me, how did you get interested in this field of developmental disabilities? It was actually um, accidental. I was studying to be a nurse, and I applied for a nursing position at a group, at a children's group home. And, um, well, um, the nursing position was filled, but I was offered a supervisor position working with the children with disabilities. And I thought, okay, well, it's new to me. I was 19 at the time, and so <laughs> I thought I would give it a try. And it really, truly opened my eyes um, as far as how much I can advocate for an individual. I was able to observe um, the quality of life, and I sort of became convinced that I needed to do things to make their life a little bit easier and more independent where there's choices that you and I can make on a, on a daily basis. So that's mm-hmm. really how I, I encountered this field. So when you say, you know, choices and you wanted to help people be, you know, as, as I hate to say this word, normal as possible, what did that entail? What was your work like when you first started? What, what did you do? Well, the children reside at the group home. And so they were there. The bus, the school bus picked them up, went to school, brought them back home, and they each had their, their bedroom or they had like one roommate. And I always thought like, huh, you know, why can't they make choices as far as how to um, decorate the room? They, they, each individual had preferences. And then I became interested in one of the children asked me like, you know, I really wished we would go out for pizza once mm. a week. And I thought, well, why not? So I started asking the questions really for the children. Well, why? Why can't they plan their own outings? Why can't right. they go out being, into the community? Being right. an advocate for them because not a lot of people want to advocate or at the same time they're afraid. They're, they think, oh, my goodness, this kid's going to have a problem. We're going to go to the store. Or we're going to go to McDonald's or something. Or we're going to go get pizza and the kid's going to freak out. So I really don't want to go get pizza. Why don't I just go buy it and bring it back? Or why don't I just have it delivered here to the, the group home so that we don't have to worry about the, the behavior problems, but w- when we do that kind of thing, Amanda, what happens when we never, when we're always, you know, guarded about behavior problems, or always worried about them? What ends up happening to the individual? Oh, they, they become so um, stuck in a, a routine that people perceive as safe, right? Yeah. It's, it's so safe because they're not doing anything. They're not going out anywhere. And, you know, you and I know that through exposure, we learn a lot about an individual, and the community learns a lot about individuals. Like, oh, did you know that, you know, so-and-so is a member of this community? They actually reside up the street, and they enjoy your pizza very much. And so, you know, the community starts learning about our individuals so that they know what to expect. Yeah, because so, I really, you know, um, it's like I want the community to say more than, oh, what a sweetheart. Oh, he's so right. nice. Oh, what a nice kid. 
I want them to say, hey, Sean, how are you doing today? Hey, Amanda, not to you and I, like if we were kids, you know, or clients. I want them to be spoken to. I want them to be addressed. Not like one of the things that drives me completely crazy is when I go to a classroom and, the, you know, I'm there to see a kid or go to a home or wherever and they're talking about the kid while, while he's right there. Right. You know, as if he's so like be not there. conversations with them, yes. Well, and, and talking about all of his problems in front of him without, you know, without the understanding that, he, you know, there's a good chance that he's understanding a lot of what you're saying and not right. feeling so great about himself being talked about this way. You know, the, uh, the big point of these programs is, is that social validity is that idea that it's going to make their life better. So when right. you uh, first started with our community integration program, what were your goals? My, my major goal was to uh, teach the community as well um, and to locate specific locations where our clients can get the most out of their community, like using the library. Did you know that there's free teen centers where they can socialize? I mean, that's such a big um, and, and such a popular activity now. Um, and even getting from point A to point B throughout your community. You can take, you know, this bus, this trolley, you can access, you know, use access to go to Target on, on Saturday because you planned and you saved your money to go buy this favorite toy, which is, you know, that's totally acceptable and normal with other individuals, you know, um, typically developing individuals. So why can't the child with a disability do the same? And so it's really teaching. And, and I learned a lot also. I never took a bus before. And hmm. but we did it together. I right. learned how to get around through the bus system and the metro system. So those are actually quite popular right now. Yeah, well, and we do so much to make sure that our kids have the opportunities like any other kid might. You know, the biggest issue always seems to be I guess what I would call the embarrassment factor. Like if your kid freaks out when you're out in the community or your kid, your student has a major meltdown, you know, and you're afraid that you're going to be judged by it, are you less likely or more likely to take that kid out? And my feeling is that you're less likely to take them out because you fear that you're going to be caught up in some kind of behavioral situation that you're not going to be able to quote unquote control. Therefore, you're going to be embarrassed by the situation. And I think the embarrassment factor is is a huge thing. And it, and it happens with our staff too. You know, they, they I think by providing support though, Sean and, and supervision, and that's when we come in, we, if something like that did occur, then we would support the staff by actually uh, meeting them and going with them on such outings and expose them to the location that caused the fear or, or the problem behavior and working, working it out together and just teaching them how to handle the situation a little bit different so that the client doesn't feel threatened either by, you know, we're in the middle of Target, I'm throwing a, a tantrum, and now I'm scared what's going to happen to me, you know. And so a lot of reassurance, I think. Um, you're going to be okay. I know it's scary. Uh, there's a lot of steps to this, but we're going to do it together. And so that, that comfort that you give to your staff, the staff are able to give to the clients as well. So Right. And we, we give uh, that, through it. you know, so often our community integration program is uh, one of our staff members and, and a and a kiddo, a client. And I still like it when the parent is also, or care provider is also involved, so that they can see what we're doing 
within the community setting and not fear taking that kid out on their own because when we take somebody out into the community, we're introducing them to a whole world of reinforcement, a whole world of exciting things. And if their direct person, direct parent can't participate with them because they're too fearful of not being able to handle the situation, well, hey, isn't it great that we can handle the situation by uh, uh, giving that person the support that they need, being with that that person in the community, and, and you can watch and see what we do and how we do it. How often do you get the opportunity to share with parents how we do our, our work in the community? Pretty much upon our, our first interaction, um, one of the questions that I ask is, what, what do you expect to get out of this? What, what difficulties do you see currently with integrating your child in the community? And a lot of things that we take for granted are, you know, I wish I can go grocery shopping and not deal with a tantrum or he opens all the bags of chips or, you know, um, and they start identifying problems. So we'll plan an outing once a week to go grocery shopping together. And so the parents also learn. I give them a list of, you know, you get grocery pamphlets or store pamphlets through the mail, have him or her pick out at least five items that they want to um, purchase at the grocery store so that they're, they're included and they're assisting you with groceries, not just going along with you. They, they have to have a purpose. And so, right. um, or just having the child integrate with siblings when they're at Little League or Soccer League, you know, instead of uh, running after me all day long because, you know, I don't want to, I can't sit for long. Um, having mm-hmm. a support staff there to take the child for a walk and then come right back and integrate with the family again. Go have, you know, the pizza or the, the award um, ceremony for, for the Little League with the individual so that they're supporting the family and the family supporting the individual. So it's little things that I think, um, you know, are, are, we take for granted with our, with our own children. Like we go to soccer games, sometimes we complain. It's such a big task and such a big deal for, for families, I think. Amanda, the, the, the work that you do that we do it's really hard you know it's it's you know you're you're working on changing societal thought you're working on making sure staff have purposeful things to do making sure that the kid has goals himself hopefully maybe even created partially by him also Uh, this might sound like a funny question but it's so hard why do you do this what's your what's your reason behind what's your drive I just I a lot of people don't want to do this kind of thing a lot of people don't want to get anywhere near it you know and (laughs) and I mean it I mean it when I say that it's like you've been doing this almost 30 years it's like what 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 is what's your powerful drive behind that I felt that I was never exposed through my school years of special education classes, so I didn't really know about the special or children with disabilities. When I went to school 27 years ago, it was still very segregated. I mean, we had like one special education class that they never had lunch with us. They never went on outings. They never went on field trips. And so I started learning about that when I was working at the group home, like, oh, they go to school. The school bus, you know, picks them up from here and they go to, you know, uh, different schools. And so... I think it, I just became eager to, to advocate for them. Like, why not? Why, why can't you plan your own outings? 
You don't have you know, to drive right now. You can take the bus. You can take the metro. Let me, let me show you how the steps that you need to learn to get there. So it's hard. I've had days where, oops, you know, there's a tantrum at the 99-cent store, and luckily we had been there so many times, um, and the workers actually knew the client, and it was so nice to say, like, you're going to be fine. You girls are fine. Let me know if you need anything, and sort of, like, you know, walked out, and it was such a such a pleasure because you didn't feel the, um, the embarrassment. The client and myself, we felt accepted. Like, yeah, this happens sometimes. I, I don't Sorry. know. You know, the child was unable to communicate. But this happens. You will see this, but he's still or, or she's still a member of this community. And so if we learn to deal with it and I give it so much attention, the child will learn to be accepted. Right, and and what the kid knows that you're still going to be there for them, even when they do freak out, and that you're not going to get just thrown out of a place. Or, frankly, if the kid is a little nervous about going into a place, he may act out in order to get out of there. And if the community person has an understanding of, hey, look, if I just remove him right now, he'll never want to come back here again. And it's so important. It's funny that you said that you fell into all of this by accident, because I, you know, I mean, we all kind of did, and almost everybody who's been on the show has said something similar. I remember when I was in high school, and there was a special ed class. There was I, I was a, a big music student then, and down by the music building is where the bungalows were, and that's where they had the special ed class. And I remember there was a girl, probably my same age, standing in front of her classroom with her pants completely down. And, and I thought to myself then, and I was, what, 16, 17, how could somebody just let her be like that? And then I found out something really interesting or trippy, as I would say. Her name was Wendy, and my sister's name is Wendy. And my sister is like two years older than me, exactly. We're born on the same day, except two years apart. And so when I saw this girl, I thought, you know, that could have been my sister. That could have been anybody, any of my friends. That could have been any of my friend's sisters. And look how nobody's taking care of her. And I remember at 16, and I was a boy, so I didn't know if I was going to do the right thing or not. I remember walking up to her and helping her put her pants back on. And it was the first time that I had ever been exposed, really, to an individual with a disability, with that level of a severe developmental disability. You know, and I... I think that if the world had more people like you, Amanda, well, you know what? You know how the world's going to have more people like you? By, <laughs> you? by you teaching all the people that you teach. You show so many people on a daily basis how to do this great work. When we, um, our, our time for our second commercial is here, but when we come back, we'll discuss a little bit more about how we create programs and continue this conversation. Okay, sounds good. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Life has its joys and challenges. At Total Programs, we can assist you with the challenges and show you that solutions are possible when good strategies are put into place. 
At Total Programs, we understand how difficult your day can be. And our goal is to assist your family in having a supportive, safe, and successful environment where love and joy can reign. We can design programs and strategies to bring you the success, safety, and support that you desire for your home, school, and community. Call 1-866-54-TUTOR or visit TotalPrograms.org. We all have challenges each and every day. How do you relax and live in a calm state? On Chaos to Calm, we introduce you to the concept of Wrenchway, a path to feeling calmer and happier. Listen Mondays at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. We'd love to encourage your participation in the program. Call into 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to seansurface at totalprograms.org. Now, back to this week's show. Well, welcome back. I hope, as I usually say, you've been able to get yourself a cup of coffee or a little goodie to keep yourself going this morning. Uh, We've been having a really nice conversation with Amanda Alvarez, my Community Integrations Director for Total Programs. And we were talking about how we got interested in this and, and how we both kind of, many people kind of fall into this field because we're just not exposed to it enough. And it's interesting because now... This newer generation of helpers, specialists, school psychologists, behaviorists, there's a big new generation of young folk that are in school specifically to help people with disabilities. And when I was in college, um, even through my doctoral program, there were very few people that were interested in this field. And now, we do see a great number of people interested in wanting to become board-certified behavior therapists and specialists in, in language and specialists in psychology in order to better help the kids. You know, when we're out, Amanda, in the community, we want to make sure always that we have very productive, goal-oriented, objective-oriented programs and that we don't just haphazardly just throw the kid out in the community. The thing that ticks me off the most is to go to the mall and see a group of developmentally disabled, usually adults, just sitting there at the table while a staff person is texting away on their phone and they're really not doing anything. How do you, when you first, you know, get like a referral for a kid, how do you, uh, what's your process? How do you get started? Um, We want to um, make sure that we know the, the child's strengths, their weaknesses, what they want to learn. I mean, the most... Um, 
for safety reasons, uh, street safety is, is always one that you want to make sure that they, they learn and understand. So instead of sitting at the mall, you can walk around the mall and teach, you know, um, the signal light system, how to cross the street safely. And so uh, we, we do we do goals and we write goals based on their needs. And so I, I find it such a waste of time because I've also seen the same thing at the mall that um, that's, that's not something that is acceptable. Uh, we provide a variety of activities per hour. And so it's different locations. So for this hour, you're going you know, to work on street safety, you know, park your car in this area so that the child and yourself have to walk and actually cross the street. And then you're going to uh, work on purchasing skills. So you have to go to this uh, store or ask the child what store they would like to visit for the day. And we practice purchasing skills. So everything is goal-oriented, goal goal-geared. Um, Currently, we have so many programs that are expanding, like college courses. It used to be, Sean, that, you know, you exit the school system and you go into a day program if you, if you had a, a disability. And right. so now we have more options. You know, we're like, why can't they go to college? And you really right? have so limited options. Not to cut you off, but you really have limited options where you would have right. 20% of the people going off to, you know, sheltered workshops or supported work with a coach or something like that. But 80% of the people in activity center kind of things where they weren't actually doing a job, they were just kept busy during the day. And the the push not only behind the Olmstead Act, but behind uh, uh, equal uh, opportunities in, in work um, says that, look, if the person has the opportunity to to be um, trained or have some, if they can do the job with supervision, then give them the supervision that they need in order to, for them to do the job. So it has been years of, of inappropriate programs. And again, I just said like 80% of the programs were for very severely handicapped or delay or disabled but really out there 80 percent of the people that are disabled are mildly disabled so you've got the majority of the programs that have been developed have been developed for very severely disabled people and but the majority of the people that need the programs have higher skills so it's a weird happening it's like why did that occur because my opinion on it uh-huh. And I don't want to sound negative at all, especially on my show, but people didn't want to see people with disabilities. So they just figured, hey, you put them all. I remember, you know, I shouldn't name any places, but I remember going to a training center here in the San Gabriel Valley and people sitting at tables like all day long. And yeah. the, the program all day long was sit down, sit down, sit down just telling them over and over again to sit down. And then there would be like a 15-minute period where they would put together some some things. And then then they'd be back to, okay, now it's just time for waiting time. And it's like, <laughs> like I, they, for what? They just look forward to eating a, a meal, right? Like, oh, right. it's lunchtime. I mean, that's probably the most exciting thing for, in the day, right? You also, sit there all day. Yeah, you sit there all day and then you get your food and that's a nice reinforcer. Then you're back to the sitting around again. I remember just about two, three weeks ago, you and I were talking about running uh, uh, up to or coming along old clients, like all of a sudden going to visit a school site or go to visit a house and there's an old client of ours and you had a client that was interacting with you, was, you know... 
able to communicate her needs, able to interact again. And when you saw her, she was sitting in a wheelchair facing a wall. For long hours. And I, I was, you know, not only did it make me cry, but I, you know, this was a child that lived at the group home. And so we, we grew up together for 17 years. And so right. I knew that she knew sign language. You know, I, I knew she recognized me because her little eyes light up. And so, you know, I started giving the, the program some advice as far as how to teach her, even though she's in a wheelchair. So, you know, it's, it's just, you have to have the drive to be able to explore and see what works. It's not okay to just say, well, she's in a wheelchair, so there's not much she can do. I, I think that's insulting, for, you know, because I taught her for 17 years. And so I, I found that very insulting, and I did, you know, speak my mind. Um, but to prevent, you know, stuff like that from, from happening, Sean, I think it's important to get to teach the children when they're young. I, I love our current ages of 7 to 22 because... We go and volunteer, you know, for Meals on Wheels. We do the Humane Society. You like animals? Okay, let's work with animals. You volunteer feeding the animals. You volunteer at the 99 cent store because you like the 99 cent store. You know, some of my clients just like the store. Right. They like that atmosphere. And so we, we volunteer an hour a day, and it's exposing them to various um, locations so that they themselves can learn, hey, I think I like this. I think I like working with feeding the animals at the Humane Society. This is something that I can do, you know. So, um, that's you know, we're what, one of the only companies. Yeah. We're one of the only companies that, that does this community integration here locally in our area. And the reason why is because the insurances around it are so very high. Both the liability insurance, actually three things, the liability insurance, the car insurance, and the workman's comp insurance. And so a lot of companies will have a community integration or a a community program, but it's center-based. So like you go to a place in the community, yes, but you're sitting in a room working on different activities and art, and I'm sure it's all great activities, but it doesn't really expose the person or give the person access to the community. And they do that out of fiduciary reasons, out of money reasons, not because they don't feel that the, uh, uh, the, the integration in the community is a good idea. So when we get parents that uh, find out about our program, they... They go nuts for it because they're like, oh, my goodness, finally my kiddo is going to be able to get out and about. But it's also the reason why we have very uh, highly trained people that work in these programs. We don't just throw anybody out there. And there's weeks and weeks of training before the person goes out with any with any client. And we do this because it's the right thing to do. It's the thing that the person needs. They don't. It would be a lot better for us financially to limit our community outings to a center-based type of program. We wouldn't have all the concerns of, of insurances or people getting hurt. Or I mean, there's times where police have stopped our our community workers because they don't understand what's going on. And just like in the ninety-nine cent store, the, yeah. The community needs to get it. They need they need lessons. I remember this is about three years ago, maybe four years ago, I did a series of lectures to a local police department on 
autism and what autism was and what to expect from higher functioning individuals that might be out in the community not understanding that they've just done something wrong or may not understand your instructions or whatever to, right. so that they can have an awareness. Because I believe yeah. that without that awareness, they're not going to get anywhere. And I, I've we've had so many parents that, that hand us a list of no's. Don't take them here. Don't go here. Don't do this. Don't do that. And if we never expose them to the world that's out there, well, what a crappy life. And Ooh. also teaching the world to accommodate them as well. I had a, a client that, you know, is blind, and I'm supposed to teach him street safety. Well, he can't mm-hmm. see the signal lights. And so the mother and I talked to the city, like, you know, can, can they have the sound system, like some cities that I know, mm-hmm. accommodate, sure. you know, some of the disabilities. And within, like, two months, they already had um, the sound system and, and all the signal lights around surrounding his That's amazing. community. In his home, and so now he's able to learn that if the sound is, you know, sounds off, it's green, it's safe, you can go. And so that's something that I learned also. You know, our main, because our main thought, office. How am I going to teach you? Our, right? our main office is here in Sierra Madre, and Sierra Madre has a center for adults that are visually impaired and blind called um, Climb. And Climb has been in this community for like thirty plus years. So we're very, people are very aware of watching for people who are visually impaired. Our streets, the corners, actually um, have been developed in such a way so that they gradually go down um, so that the person doesn't trip over a curve or doesn't um, trip into to, to traffic. We have understandings of how we need to drive. I remember somebody making a, a, a left turn they were in front of me, and there was a blind person who was crossing the street, but there was enough space to make a left turn in front of them if you wanted to risk it, and this person uh-huh. risked it, and the police jumped on them immediately and pulled them right. over and, and gave them a ticket, and and, told, and I, I was aware of this because, frankly, I called the police and told them that this person had made a left turn in front of the uh, individual. When a community is aware of its individual's needs, we can put it out there. We can put the needs out there. We can put the supports out there. But if if it's a hidden situation, if we're unaware of what the needs are, if people marginalize individuals with disabilities, keep them home, keep them in a quiet, safe place, we're, we're much less likely to be able to develop programs. Because how do we know what the needs are? you got to go out there. You got to go out there and experience outings with them so that you can see what they experience, what locations they visit. Really, you know, it's just being physically there and and learning along with them. And I almost guarantee that in every situation, eventually the community integration time becomes the most reinforcing time of that person's day. They're like, okay, I get to go out. I get to go do stuff. Sometimes they're tired just like the rest of us and they don't want to go and do so much but you know they they know that we're there for them it's vice versa sean sometimes you've Mm -hmm. you've taught them so much that by the time i pick up a client they have a list we're going hiking first then we're taking Mm -hmm. the train to here then we're going to have lunch here and so i'm like oh hiking huh you know, hiking and for an hour. This is a person and that wouldn't even hike for 10 minutes, right? That's right. And now all of a sudden, you know, they're a real person. They're part of yes. 
the real world doing stuff that their community supports them in. So, Amanda, it's the end of the show. I, I, I thank you so much for coming on today and sharing with us. So we'll have you again sometime because we have a lot more to talk about. So thank you. Okay, sounds good. Thank so you. Remember, so remember that on Strategies and Solutions, taking on the challenge of Dr. Sean, we are about your successes and know that each day you can have a, the new future you dream of having in your life. See you next time. Blessings. Thanks so much for listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean. Living the challenge. Be sure to join us again next Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a great week.